I would, my brother had a construction company, and so I would go work construction with him um, just kind of to raise, save up money over the summers. America, you get three months off during the summer and so uh, of school. So I was up there, and every day, it was an amazing thing, every day I'd come home from work, and it was as if I, I know this sounds strange, but it was as if I heard a voice, and I know now it was the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to me, telling me to read the Bible that one of those Sunday school teachers gave me when I was a little boy. Mm. It was a King James Version, and I really didn't understand it or know how to read it very well, but um, I kept it because it was the Bible, and she had my name on it. Well, there at 16, though, I, I put it off for a month, but after that month, I finally looked up one day when I came home from came home from work, and I said, okay, Lord, I'll do it. And so I finished my dinner, opened up that Bible, and started reading, and all of a sudden burst into tears. When I, I was reading in Matthew right where Jesus was going to the cross, and I burst into tears and said, Lord, you did that for me. Mm. You did that for me. And for the next two hours, it seemed, I was sobbing like a little boy that was just scolded, and, and I mean, literally, I was crying so hard. And I said, Lord, with whatever I have in my life, I'll serve you. And I gave my life over to him again and said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And it was there that I felt that he wanted me to be a pastor. So tell us about your time after school. Were you, did you go straight into Bible college? Or? I did. You did? I okay, did. Yeah. Well, what, what happened was uh, I was I was a musician, I, a bass guitar player, and I play, you know, and I play six string as well. Oh, yeah. And, uh, but love playing guitars. And so one day I was in a jam session with a, with a guy. And so we're just playing guitars together, you know, just, just young guys. And uh, we stepped out, and it was winter. And so it was a little cold outside, and we stepped out. And we were just standing around talking. All of a sudden he reaches into his coat pocket, and he pulls out this little bottle of, uh, I don't know what it was, whiskey or something. He goes, hey, here, you want some? And I said, oh, no, thanks. I'm a Christian. And, 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 and he says, well, so am I. And I go, oh, okay. So uh, anyway, he said to me then, uh, uh, he asked where I went to church, and I told him about that. And he says, well, you ought to come to my church. And so I agreed that I'd go with him on that Sunday and went to his church, uh, and which happened to be a four-square church. And I got in there, and this is back in the um, uh, late, I think it was 1979, 1980. And I went into the church, and I was amazed because I got in there, and they had what I had never experienced in church as a musician. The church I went to only had an organ then. Yeah. And I walked into this church, and they had drums and guitars and saxophone and keyboards. And I went, wow, what a place. And I lo- you know, so I was sold. Well, I started going to that church then, immediately got on the uh, – ended up getting on the worship team. And then, then after school, as time went on, I heard them speaking about a Bible school. And I said, that's, that's it. That's what I want to do. I want to go to Bible college. So my friend, the same friend, said to me, well, I have to go, too. Ah. And uh, he said, my mother's making me. (laughs) She said, if I don't go to Bible college, she's going to cut off my funds. (laughs) And so I said, well, I want to go. And, uh, and of course, got in and then loved the Word of God so much, I, I just stuck through it. And did you start in ministry straight after Bible school? I started in ministry in Bible school. In Bible school okay. I was immediately taken um, uh, by one of the pastors, made a more or, less, more or less an assistant to him uh, serving the youth group. And then later I took over the youth ministry. It was a large church that had grown at one point up to, I believe, around 3,500. So it was a, a good, strong ministry. And I really took off from there uh, and never slowed down by the age of 20, I was, um, I was a pastor. 
Wow. Whereabouts were you pastoring? Was, this, was in, this was in Tucson, Arizona. In Tucson, Arizona. Okay. And how did you meet your wife? Well, I met my wife where everyone should meet their wife in church. <laughs> I met her in church. <laughs> and it's quite a funny story because I, I tell everybody that uh, I was honestly, I wasn't looking. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. devoted to, the, <laughs> to my studies. I really was. I was devoted to my studies, devoted to the Word of God. But one, uh, one of the um, weekdays when we were having youth group, Oh, uh, a youth group that I was actually uh, semi in charge of, and all of a sudden I saw her, and I do have to admit I saw her and went, "Wow, wow, Lord, who is that? <laughs> who is that?" I met her that night, and then had the wonderful um, privilege of hearing as I uh, talked with her for quite a while and, and shared. And I said, "I said to her, I said, so what are you doing in life right now? Are you in university?" And she said, "She says, yes, I am." I'm, and I said, well, what are you studying? She says, I'm studying art. And I said, oh, so you're going to be an artist. And she goes, oh, no, no, no. She said, um, the Lord spoke to me and told me I'm going to marry a pastor. And I went, yes, yeah. that's me. Hallelujah. And so <laughs> I never let her out of my sight after that. Oh, wonderful. Now, I'd love to hear some of your stories uh, that I've read in your book recently because it's impacted me so much. Uh, so for those who don't know, you're now based in Brisbane, Australia. You used to be in Cairns, you used to be in Sydney, you lived for uh, in uh, Indonesia for a season, uh, you've been in the, the States obviously for a long time as well, uh, and you also, uh, your, your kids are both married Aussies, so you, you know, you're one of us mate, you know, uh, but I'm, I'm curious to know about this amazing story in Vanuatu about the cargo cult. Uh, for those who don't know what a cargo cult is, tell us a bit about the background. Well, a cargo cults um, were actually all over the South Pacific um, during World War II. And uh, the way they came about is that many of these islands had actually, uh, they had never even seen an airplane. And all of a sudden throughout the South Pacific, these silver birds are flying through the air. And we had, um, we had soldiers, we had troops in these different islands, stationed in these different islands back when we were um, stationing ourselves in different areas with the war with Japan. And so um, our planes would drop down food. And back in those days, they were called um, sea rations. They dropped down food, and sometimes they would miss the target. They'd come down in parachutes, and they'd miss the target. And the natives would find this food that they had never they had never eaten anything like this before. Um, this this packaged food or canned food. And so once they ate everything, um, uh, I did all I did always wonder though because they also used to drop down cigarettes. Ah. That was part <laughs> of the deal. Yeah, <laughs> soldier. I thought I would have loved to seen the video. When they got up, when they said, let's try this one, and they <laughs> ate some of them cigarettes and then Woo. turned green. But anyway, so the food would drop down, and when it ran out, they would begin to call out again to the sky, hoping that the silver birds wow. would drop some more food. That was the kind of the foundations of, of what we know as cargo cults. Some say it goes back even uh, earlier. But in Vanuatu, and more specifically in Tana Island, it was different. They continued. All those other cults kind of disappeared as they realized, you know, these are airplanes and these are people and food doesn't fall from the sky and, and that. But in, in Tana Island, there was a very interesting thing is that many of the natives, and there's literally hundreds of these stories where they say a man appears dressed in the um, uniform of an American soldier and he calls him and they call his name John Frum. That's F-R-U-M, John from, some say, yeah, John from America or this, but it's the soldier appears to them and would speak to them and say, if you worship me and follow me, I will bring cargo ships, ah. not from planes, but cargo ships for, with the wealth of America 
I will bring it to your shores. So they began to serve him. Matter of fact, in 2007, the BBC um, went and interviewed the leader of the cult, a man named Isaac One, and um, and he said that John Frum was their Jesus. Wow. And that's who they followed. And so there was this amazing opportunity that came about there. I was invited by um, Chief Barnabas Talsey to, to come over, and um, he was our leader over there, and he had a village not far from where this still-existent cargo cult village was there. He took me down to it. It was amazing. I mean, this open area um, with um, that looked like a scene out of National Geographic. Um, it looked like, you know, pigs running wild through the place. Um, you know, everything that you can imagine. And it just looked like a scene from way back. Grass huts. But in the middle of this village was a large, large flagpole with an American flag <laughs> on Tana Island uh, in Vanuatu. And so I had this amazing opportunity to then meet the cargo cult leader. And um, it was a story. It was a, it was something that changed my life forever. As I met this man, he literally got on his knees immediately. And he said, Jesus told me I must repent. Wow. Of leading this. Well, I didn't have to do anything. There was no convincing. He said, Jesus told me I must repent. And I said to Jesus, I'll repent when an American missionary or American pastor comes to my village. And I just got the great privilege of being invited and being the guy. And um, it only had to be an American because of their worship of the things of America and, of course, having the American flag there and and the stories from this supposed uh, American soldier. So he repented, and then he says, tomorrow can you come and preach to my village? Which, of course, I said, yes, of, of course I will. And I went there on – it was actually happened to be a Sunday morning, went, went there, preached his village up from a hillside, um, not even a long message, just a simple gospel message. That's what I like. The gospel is it, – it's so simple. But when you preach a simple gospel message, the Lord has a way of getting into the hearts of every man and every woman if you just preach the word. And so I preached the message, give an altar call, and 90% of the village came up to receive the Lord, gave their lives to the Lord. What was so remarkable, though, was that afterwards um, I, I had to leave, but the, but the story that was told to me is that the cargo cult leader's son, whose name was Isaac too, uh, he went throughout the islands – all spread out because some reports had it that there were up to 20,000 cult followers spread throughout the Vanuatu Island chain. So he went to all these villages, and they told me afterwards through it, through I believe it was around six months' time, thousands and thousands and thousands of the cult followers had turned and given their lives to Jesus. I just love that story uh, because it, you know, it wasn't anything special that you did. You, you just went up. You just you were just obedient to God. You just preached the gospel as as you were called to do. And then God used that message to impact one village and then the whole tribe was converted, you know, a vast majority of them, uh, because you were positioned for a miracle. Really that's the heart behind your message, isn't it? It absolutely is. That God is ready to do miracles in our life every day if we just stand and are available to him. We're obe- and we're obedient to him. We serve him, and we serve others. And as you're doing those things, you position yourself for miracles every day. And I've now experienced every kind of miracle imaginable, from uh, from cancers to broken backs to blind eyes to you name it, um, people coming and their lives being completely transformed and changed. So I see miracles all the time and have seen miracles throughout these years by just 
always being in a position where you're ready for the Lord to do something, and you're available for Him to do something. Well, it's inspirational to be able to catch up with you today. And uh, our guest today is Dr. Jerry Stott, author of the book Position for Miracles, Making Your Life an Amazing Story. Now, if people want to get a hand, get their hands on this book, what's the website for them to go to? Oh, it would just be um, positionformiracles.com, you know, www.positionformiracles.com. And they can get on there and they can click on if they want to go um, over to Amazon um, uh, and get a, um, an e-book or a Kindle version or they want to order a copy. Well, Dr. Jerry, I think you're a history maker. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on History Makers. If you'd like to listen to this interview again, just go to historymakers.tv. There you'll find links to Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can subscribe to our iTunes podcast or check out our YouTube clips. And you can find out about History Makers TV. We are a faith-based ministry and we appreciate every donation. You know, the vision of History Makers is to share the good news of Jesus Christ to the nations of the world. If you'd like to partner with us, send us an email, info at historymakersradio.com. God bless you. Have an awesome day. I'm Matt Prater, and why don't you go and make history? History Makers. History Makers is proudly sponsored by Bible League, who serve the local church and other partners around the world by providing Bibles, scripture materials, and training to help people meet Jesus. They provide God's Word to a lost and needy world. Bible League plants Bibles in prisons, among persecuted Christians and in poor nations, bringing the love and light of Christ into many people's lives around the world. Make history today by joining our friends at Bible League and planting a Bible that will help someone meet Jesus. Go to bl.org.au. Station sponsor.